0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated and please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at verses 31 and 32. And just as a reminder of the context, I think it's very important. We always remember the context of what we're looking at so that we don't lose sight of the bigger picture. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of five sermons that Jesus gave. And those sermons are, are Jesus teaching his disciples what it means to be a disciple and how to make disciples. And so he's basically been saying, he's contradicting, he's, he's given counter to the culture. He's giving countercultural explanations. I think he's looking at society, looking at the culture in which they live, And he's teaching them how different his disciples are going to be in the culture in which they live. Uh, He says, you are salt and you are light uh, as my disciples. So that what he's saying is that we are the moral preservatives of society as Jesus' disciples. When we have the new heart that he gives us by faith, we have new lifestyles, new values, new priorities, We spend our resources differently. We make different judgments. We make different uh, decisions. And it ends up, we look different than the culture in which we live. And that brings glory to God. It doesn't bring glory to us. It brings glory to God because he's the one that transforms us. And so we look at what he's been doing each each week, and he's been holding a very high standard, the, the perfect standard of righteousness. He's been holding it up to us like a mirror. And he's been forcing us to look in the mirror and examine our own lives. He's counteracting the, the, the teaching of their day, which relaxed the standards of God's word, which made it easier. Now, why would, why would we relax the standard of God's word? I, I, this is not deep theological teaching. We know our own hearts well enough to know. Why do we ever relax the standards of God's word? It's easier. It's easier. Why else? We want to make ourselves Say, we've measured up, right? We declare ourselves righteous. And that's self-righteousness. And that's completely opposite of the gospel. And so Jesus sees that's what they're doing. And he says, that's, that's, not, that's not my standard. And so he's, each week, he's been saying, you've heard it said one thing. And that's the cultural standard. That's what the religious leaders of the day were saying. For example, two weeks ago, he said, you heard it said, do not murder And what they were teaching was, hey, as long as you don't kill somebody, we're good. And they harbored anger and resentment and bitterness and hatred and slander in their heart. Jesus says, no, if you even are angry, you have not kept this command. Your anger is tantamount to murder. And then he did the same thing with lust and adultery. Last week he said, you've heard it said, your religious teachers have told you that do not commit adultery. And there was probably a teaching of just don't get caught committing adultery. And Jesus says, no, that's not going far enough. I am concerned about your heart. And so he says, do not lust, for lust is tantamount to adultery. And so he has been going to the, to the interpretation of the day, which has relaxed God's standard. And then he says, let me tell you something. That's, I don't just want behavioral modification, And that's what he's saying to us today as disciples of Jesus, as the church who says that we worship Jesus. He's saying, I don't want you just to clean up your behavior. The the essence of a Christian is not being very religious. The essence of a Christian is that you have a new heart in Christ, that Christ is. You see the standard of righteousness is perfection. You see in your own life, I don't meet that standard. I've lusted. I've gotten angry. And so I need need help. I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. I need to be declared righteous. The gospel, the good news is that Jesus will declare you righteous and forgive you of your sins. And so then we say, okay, does that mean we just don't worry about what God wants for our lives? No, no. Having been declared righteous, we are born again, we're filled with the Spirit of God, and he says, now I give you desires to obey my word. Jesus gives us a new heart so that our righteous activity, our not murdering, is flowing from a heart that is not angry. Our not committing adultery is flowing from a heart that is not filled with lust. He changes us from the inside out. And that's what Jesus has been saying about his disciples. He's been saying they're different, but they're not just different outwardly. They're different from the inside out. Look what he says in verse 31 and 32 today. In 31 and 32, he he says, "...it was also said," this is what they taught, "...whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality..." makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So he's continuing where he left off last week, only he told the sermon at once, and we're breaking it up into pieces. So where he was last week, he's talking about adultery in marriage, and he's addressing this idea of committing adultery in our heart or other ways, and feeling like, hey, I'm good because I didn't didn't break the letter of the law. And so today, he's continuing the same thing. He's addressing this idea that as long as you give someone a piece of paper, you can go be with another woman, and it's all good. Now, I'm acutely aware, growing up in a family that has been divorced, of the pain of divorce. I know that statistics show that many, many people, over half the percentage of people in the church, have been through divorce. And so I want to pause for a second and to say, we love you. We, we don't sit here to cast stones. And I'm also aware that those who have been divorced live with, most of the ones I know live with an incredible sense of guilt. And what I would really like to do is just close the Bible and spend the next 30 minutes telling you that if you are in Christ, you have been forgiven. You have been forgiven. You have been forgiven. That's why I love that, that Granger is saying songs about grace after grace after grace. Because, look, here's what happens you don't know if I have lust in my heart. You don't know if I have anger in my heart. Those are the first two examples that Jesus brought up. But you probably know if I've been divorced or not. And so that just makes it uniquely challenging. Those who have been through that come in here feeling like they got a big scarlet D on their chest. And that's not the case. What Jesus has been doing is saying, yes, that's not my will. Yes, that's... Uh, murder is not my will, and yes, anger is not my will, and adultery is not my will, and lust is not my will. And what I have been doing each week, I kind of accidentally got into the habit of entrapping you into public confession each week. As the first week, I said, who among here hasn't had anger? And everybody was like, yeah, that's me. And we're all pretty okay with admitting that. Next week, I kind of said, well, who hadn't lusted? And I think everybody's kind of like, ooh. I'm glad he's not really acting like this is a serious question. But the point two weeks ago, last week, and this week is not to water the standard down out of empathy. I want to do that. I want to avoid this passage because I love you. But what we understand is the grace in this, the goodness of of facing these texts that we come to week in and week out is none of us is let off the hook. Why is that good news? Because none of us falls short of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So hear me say that. This message is not just to those who have been through divorce. This message is to every single person in here because it addresses our attitude towards marriage. So let's look at what he says. Let's look at what he means by this passage. He's He's saying some words that kind of make us tend to think that, oh, if, if, I've, if I've divorced someone, then I live in this perpetual state of adultery. And I want to clarify that that is not any different than when if you've lusted that you don't live in this perpetual state of lust. If you have been forgiven by the grace of God, you have been forgiven. But then God calls us to greater things of obedience. So once again, we find the same pattern that Jesus has been using. You have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus is correcting the shallow interpretation of scriptures that was being done by the religious leaders of his day. And he is saying, no, that is not my standard. So to to understand what he's saying, we need to understand, first of all, what is God's teaching on marriage and divorce? And then we will look at what they were doing with that teaching, and then we will look at what Jesus did to straighten the message up. So you thought we were only going to have two verses. Sorry. No, we're going to Matthew 19, 3 through 9. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew 19, 3 through 9. Kevin and Caitlin Wilsey already read in the early portion of the service about Ephesians, which was another teaching of God's plan for marriage. Here we see Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes about this same issue. And I think it really is very connected. It's the same gospel. It's Jesus again. And it looks like this is where we the context of what Jesus is saying. So let's try to understand what Jesus is saying here. He says in Matthew 19, verse 3, Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him, asking... Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two but one flesh? What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They asked about divorce. He talked about marriage. Verse 7, Well, They said to him, Why then did Moses command, keyword, Why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So, what, what's going on here? Let's work through these verses just a little bit of time. First of all, notice how Jesus handles the question of divorce. This, there's a lot of insight here for us, especially as pastors. People want to come, and I know right now your mind is filled with a thousand questions of permissible divorce, not permissible. What about this situation? What about that situation? And when you come to a pastor with that, the first thing that we should do is to say, let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about what is God's design for marriage. And that's what Jesus does. And he lays out the biblical teaching that, that it is to be between one man and one woman. It should be a marriage uh, institution of fidelity and faithfulness. It's a covenant that should last as long as they both shall live. Why, why does it stop when they both shall die or when one dies? Well, because in heaven there will be no marriage. That's a subject for another day. I need to study that further. Not sure I'm excited about that right this moment. But he says, as long as the two are married, are are alive, that covenant is in place. And so, inherent in this, implied in this, is a principle that I think is where God is, where Jesus is working from, that he's saying, look, I don't care what happens and what goes on in this crazy world that we live. That's what hardness of heart, filled with sin and filled with problems and riddles. That even, even in the case of this, he's saying, listen, my ideal, my preference, my will, my design is that a man and a woman covenant together, become a one flesh relationship for all of their lives. That should be the principle that he's... That we live by. That should be our view of marriage. We should hold in a culture that is constantly redefining marriage. Who can be married. What marriage is. What it takes to dissolve the marriage. In that culture we should never ever. With our empathy and love and grace. We never redefine marriage. We say listen I love you. But let me just hold clear to the teaching of the scripture. Speaking the truth with Great love, 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 love. The truth in love. And so the principle seems to come from this is that if a person chooses to get married, God views that person as married to their spouse as long as that person is alive. And when they die and are in heaven, there will be no marriage. So, back to the verses, shifting the focus onto God's will for marriage, the questioners are not satisfied. They're like, no, 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 we're trying to trip you up here. Let's go back to this divorce issue. In verse 3 they ask, is it lawful to divorce divorce one's wife for any cause? Now many commentaries believe that that any cause was an issue that was going on in the day that they had come up with a way to divorce under this any cause. They found a loophole in the law. They defined this what, what we see in this verse as defined as sexual immorality, God allowed divorce for sexual immorality, the word there takes some, some defining to say, well, what, what does that word mean? Well, they did it as loosely as possible that for any cause, if you find any fault in your spouse, then you can leave them. Now, why would they do that? Why would they say, hey, if you, if you, if you find any cause... You just give them this command here. You have to give them a certificate of divorce. You have to write that piece of paper because we are about the law. Give them this paper, and then you can leave them for, 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 for any cause. Why, why do you think? What was he talking about last week? Interact. Lust. So you got people lusting, wanting to be with another woman. Oh, certificate of divorce. Let's write that sucker out and we're good to go. I can go be with another woman and it's not considered adultery. Such is our wicked hearts. It's what we do with the law. We take the hard commands and relax them and we take the concession or the permission and we run with it. And Jesus says, that's not... You see where Jesus is going with this. That's the exact issue that Jesus is addressing. He says that doesn't that's not living up to my desires that's not you' you're just showing what you do with my good law. You just take it and abuse it and run with it and so Jesus is saying no that's not and then he also noticed that he they say, Well, they come back well, then why did Moses command in verse seven, why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and send her away as if Moses said, if you see anything wrong, the righteous thing to do is to dismiss that woman. That's what we do with it, right? And he says, no, he did not command it. He allowed it in this situation that the, my translation translates as sexual immorality. And there's debate over exactly what that means. But I think that's a great translation. Sexual immorality, such as in the context, like adultery. That was a concession, a divine concession, but not a divine command. So Moses allowed for divorce for the cause of sexual immorality, like adultery. But even in that case of adultery, he said the Lord's will is not that you necessarily command. It doesn't mean that you have to get a divorce. It just means that it's allowed, but I would say that he says even then, consider fighting for your marriage. But once the divine concession was given, the scribes take it and run with it, and they're looking for a way to legalize their adultery. That's what's going on here. That's the issue that Jesus is addressing, is they're trying to use this loophole to legalize their adultery. They literally got to the point where they said, if your wife burns the toast, I said that a few weeks ago and people chuckled, but that is literally how ridiculous they got. If your wife burns the toast, as long as you give her that paper, dismiss her. And Jesus says, really? I had someone come up after the early service, y'all are probably doing it right now, and she said, I literally burned the toast this morning. And so with this idea of them trying to escape the law of adultery, they're trying to get around that law of committing adultery, Jesus says in verse 9, "No, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Is that clearing it up, I hope, for reading these texts? Jesus says, No, you're not obeying the seventh command by simply giving her a piece of paper, when you're just trying to go be with another woman. So, back to our text today, verse 31 and 32 from chapter 5. Jesus says basically that it was also said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's what the people today were saying. Hey, you want to divorce her? Just make sure you give her that paper. Emphasis on the paper. Emphasis on that certificate. Jesus puts the emphasis back on no marriage. He said, "But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery." He's clearly assuming that the divorced person would then marry again, and he's just saying, "Look, this is not this is not your escape way out. This is not you saying I meet the standard of God. This is not you saying I don't." He says, "You can't say I don't need grace." That's what he's saying. He's saying, you need grace. Just because you did this and that, you need grace. And I offer grace. I offer forgiveness. I offer you new life. So to understand these passages, especially if you've been through a divorce, I feel like I need a megaphone to cut through the pain. To say, listen, just like you understood two weeks ago, the murderer and the anger in the heart that just because you haven't murdered someone doesn't mean you don't need grace. You need grace. Look at your heart. Just like, just because you haven't committed adultery, you've lust in your heart, you need grace. Just because you gave a certificate to someone to remarry someone, you need grace. That's his point. So don't, in your pain think that you're beyond the grace of God when that's the whole point is you, just like the rest of us, need grace. We all need the grace of God. Amen. So how do we apply this? I'm going to invite the band to come in and I want to walk through a few application points. Each week... And each week that we talk about these, we we talk about the need for grace. And the main point, as they come in, hear this. Don't miss this point. The main point of every message in this sermon is what? We need Grace. grace. And that is found only in Jesus. That is the point. When, as action steps, we're memorizing together as a church. Does anyone memorize the verse? Anyone bold? Because I am going to call on you if you raise your hand. Has anyone memorized the verse that is our action step? Raise your hand if you want to try it. Come on. Be brave. Be bold. You're in front of people who love you and accept you. But unless exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is that so important? That's the point of his Sermon on the Mount, is that your righteousness has to exceed this this shallow behavioral modification righteousness that everyone's talking about. He says, you've got to be perfect. where's the good news in that? Well, because Jesus is perfect, and he'll give you credit for his perfections. Trust in Jesus. If you stand before the Father today, if you get hit by a Mack truck out there, sorry, I don't mean to be depressing, but if you were... And you were standing before God and he says, now why should I let you in heaven? Because only righteousness is allowed in here. Your answer better be one answer. Jesus, you promised to give me credit for Jesus' righteousness and I'm banking everything on that. And he'll say, come on in, my righteous child. You see, that's the point of the gospel. That's the point of this sermon is the culture's not saying that. The religious people are saying, be really religious and you'll be righteous enough. And Jesus says, no, you're not. So what do we do with this? We trust Jesus first of all. We're filled with the spirit of God. We're declared righteous. And then we wage war. So what does this mean for you? It means if you are longing to be married. If you are longing to be married. Look at this incredible commitment that God calls you to. You're in a culture that says everything wrong about how to find a spouse. You're in a culture that says, who makes you feel good about yourself? And then you finally decide, yeah, this one makes me feel really special. And then you come into my office and you say, we want to get married. And I say, all right, let's do marriage counseling. And I say, guess what marriage is? It's death. And they're like, let's go ask another pastor. It is death. Die to self and serve that person for the rest of your ever living life. And seriously, I try my best to get that point across because the culture is saying the opposite. But that's what marriage is. It's an entire lifetime of dying to self and serving your spouse. And death is painful. We dated six years and we were married 10 years. We've been now 24 years. We were married 10 years and it took us those first 16 years of dating and marriage to finally die to self and figure out what a joy it is to have that new life. To serve one another. So if you're looking for someone, first of all, you look for the godly characteristics, the biblical characteristics of what a godly man and godly woman looks like. And then you look at them and you go, do I really, 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 really like them? Because I'm going to have to live with them the rest of my life and die to serve them every single day. If your spouse has committed adultery against you, I cannot do justice to, to, to connect with the pain that that has caused you. But I think there's a point here in the scriptures to say don't presume that you have to get a divorce. Maybe that's where you end up but, but at least understand that Jesus clarifies. I didn't command it. I allowed it. But maybe there's a miracle story here of grace. If you're married whether it's your first marriage or not this text holds marriage up in a culture that is making it as easy as possible to dismiss marriage and it says fight for marriage fight for it it can be it can be any two people who will go about marriage god's design can experience an incredible joyful relationship That you say, I'm glad this lasts a lifetime. I'm glad it's a lifelong commitment. Don't give up. Get counseling. Let us help. God, I've seen it so many times. When two people are committed, if they will faithfully strive by God's grace to work on their marriage with help, He resurrects relationships and it's worth the effort. Father God, would you just make us a people of grace? You're so worthy, and we want to give you the glory that you deserve, Lord. May your grace, may we breathe in your grace, may we breathe out your praise. May our marriages bring glory and honor to your name. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church, located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.